When we began this series on Easter, we discovered that when Jesus was mocked um, and crucified, he was being ridiculed, and but being called King of the Jews. Uh, but the clearest proof of his authority wasn't in avoiding the cross. They said, come off the cross if you think you're the King, if you think you're the Messiah. But the, the strongest proof of his authority was in defeating the cross and resurrecting from the dead. And last week we were encouraged to know that we're united with Christ through our allegiance to him, and then we become new creations. Uh, we're part of the new creation. Our past no longer defines us, and it's the love of God that pours through us. It's the same love that caused Jesus to endure the cross, and it's the same kind of love of God that, that forgives us of our past. So love can truly reign supreme in our lives. And today we're going to continue this series by taking a look how love reigns over our present. And it's because of God's great mercy we can live lives that now can honor him. A few years ago, our family spent a week at a family adventure camp. Uh, it was make your own raft out of barrels, ropes, and boards, and float the rapids kind of stuff. Really fun. Now, we played one game in the woods where a blindfolded person would try to make their way through the obstacles, listening to the voice of their leader. It sounds simple enough. One minor snag, though, everyone else is yelling and misdirecting to get you to veer off course. You have to listen to that single voice and trust their direction. Wait, no, I think I got my stories mixed up. That's actually just everyday life, isn't it? Trying to, trying to listen to the one voice and yet all of these other voices are trying to pull me off course. Some of them I don't even know that they're the wrong voice. And, and as we live day to day, we make thousands of decisions. We're constantly having to weigh out options and choose what we think is best. Okay, I'm going to do this, not this. And sometimes our decisions and are influenced by the things we're told to do, right? Do this and don't do that. We find ourselves being obedient to voices around us that do not have our best interests in mind. This is very true. <laughs> that store that you walk into does not have your best interests in mind. Uh, that app you've downloaded it does not have your best interest in mind. There's another ploy going on. Get money. Get your money. Hoping you know, Every store you walk into is hoping you make a really bad decision today. Right? That's what they're all gunning for. So, so we, have to, we have to listen for that voice because the other voices that we're oftentimes obedient to do not have our best interests in mind. And so God's love gives us this brand new option to listen to his voice in order to, to make the best decision possible right now, today. And so the first point I just want to explore with you um, probably the biggest point, my choices reveal who reigns in my life, right? My choices reveal who reigns in my life. Your choices, if we were to just to look at them and let's just survey your choices, we say who is on the throne of your life? The things that we choose to do or choose not to do show who we listen to, don't they? I do this, I don't do that, okay, because I'm listening to a voice. And our lives are largely made up by the decisions we make. And it exposes to whom or what has our allegiance. 
we pledge allegiance, right? Our past is a collection of wise or unwise choices that we've made along the way. And we've been exploring how our rebellion can be forgiven and wiped clean, but these patterns often remain. And if we look back on those past decisions, who would we conclude is in charge? And how many of those past decisions were a result of an obedience to God? And how many of those choices were a result of obedience to our kind of natural sinful desires or the voice of the world? Right? We can't be led astray. We don't have to be led astray because love can reign in our present. The Apostle Paul, who was one of the early leaders of the Christian movement, has a lot to say about living lives under the influence of God rather than the influence of the world and its systems, the, the present evil age. And he frequently focuses on this topic because as followers of Christ and people who have responded to the love of God, um, for us, that love should reign in our lives and rule over our decisions. But that's not often the case. In fact, sometimes we just fall directly back into the world's patterns. In Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, uh, I realize I'm entering the, the letter at chapter 12, but it says this. So my dear family, this is my appeal to you by the mercies of God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship like this brings your mind into line with God's. That's how we do it. Now, Romans 1 through 11 has been about the unity of a people across ethnic dividing lines. Right? Rome was the center of the culture. Um, there was issues with um, whether this is going to be a Gentile church or is this a Jewish church? And how are we supposed to connect and how are we supposed to become this one new human in Jesus Christ? What's called the body of Christ. How are we going to do this? And, and Paul says, you've got a lot of shifting to do and, and you need to, to prefer one another. And, and when he says the living sacrifice, you're, we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. That's temple language, isn't it? Uh, sacrifices happen in, in temples. And the teacher Paul is telling them that they all, Jews and Gentiles, offer their bodies as one sacrifice. All y'all offer all y'all's bodies as a single living sacrifice. And we know this much about sacrifice. It's a surrender, isn't it? Sacrifice is surrender. A few thousand years ago, if you were in that Jewish religion, probably any religion, um, you would surrender an animal, right? In the Jewish system, it was surrender an animal that would shed their, the blood of that animal in your place. But that wasn't the only kind of sacrifice. Another sacrifice would be um, of, of gifts of money. You bring that to the temple, a gift of money. You surrender that. It doesn't pay for your sins, does it? No, it's, it, it would be, it'd be like bringing the first fruits of your harvest. Okay, here's the, the apples, here's the wheat. We bring that with joy and thanksgiving and gladness to God, but it is a surrender of the best of my produce. It's not to be saved in that sense or not to be um, enter the covenant or, or to keep your sins from being contaminating you and keeping God's, God's dwelling place outside. Um, no, it, it was just out of, um, showing my priorities, right? And Paul is saying that, that together 
we offer ourselves, we surrender ourselves, we submit to one another. If you read the passage just beyond this, we submit to one another, giving priority to one another, using our gifts to serve the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is the new humanity. And, and just like Christ offered his body, right? He sacrifices and surrenders his body. And now together we surrender our bodies to be his one new humanity. Now I want you to think deeply with me for a moment. It may just be right at the surface, but can you think of any pet peeves, any um, secondary theological distinctives, right? That you're unwilling to surrender. Think of that. Oh, I can never hang out with people like that. I could never be with people who believe that about this. Um, pet peeves, secondary theological distinctives. Not, is Jesus uh, come in the flesh? Is he God? You know, not that, but but political ideas or, or theological uh, distinctives or racial perspectives. And I'm not willing to surrender that. I've settled it. This is the way it is. And if they don't agree with it, they can just surrender for the sake of unity. That's what a living sacrifice does. We need, to, we need to talk about these things. What you're unwilling to surrender for the sake of unity. This is important because it's, it's in view of God's mercies. Because God's mercies change everything. It changes everything. So this Saturday, we're going to give away groceries for, I don't know, probably 1,200 people again, maybe 1,500 people, boxes and boxes of food. And, but it's really at no cost to us because it's, it's, a, it's a federal grant that's been bringing this, this money. So we'll volunteer our time and we'll serve people and smile and all that. But is that really considered generous? Is, are we giving some out of some deep well of resource for us? Well, well not so much. Um, we have access to it. We have a facility, a parking lot. So why wouldn't we distribute it, right? So in view of that abundance, we have this possibility. <laughs> why wouldn't we do it and give it away, right? So in view of God's mercies to us in, in the sacrifice of his son on the cross, why, we surrender ourselves, mind and body to God's vision for the new humanity. Not the world's vision for a new humanity, but God's vision. Which just brings me to a, a prayer that has been rolling around in my heart that millions have learned to pray. They call it the Jesus prayer. Even as they breathe in and breathe out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Boy, do you need mercy today? Mercy for the divisive thoughts in your in your mind and in your heart, for that stiff arm to that person that that other Christian who thinks differently than you and you just can't stand. It's Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's a soul training you can do, because when we turn our attention to the mercy of God, the the wide and astounding new mercies every morning, then we're compelled to live, um, to live as sacrifices to give our lives in surrender and that's holy and pleasing to God right the the concept of animal sacrifice has got a ton of imagery and and history for the audience Paul's speaking to you know like the life of an animal goat sheep blood the, the animal's blood would decontaminate the people purify the people so that God could dwell with them 
Do you get that? Decontaminate the people, atonement, bringing, the, bringing God's presence back with them. It involved death, and it offered God's living presence. How much do you long for God's living presence in, in you and in your family, around those who you love, in our church? How much do you long for his living presence? Well, that's what that sacrifice is. We, we surrender in order to have God's living presence among us in the unified body of Christ. That's, that's why Jesus' death was considered the ultimate sacrifice for all humanity, is the ultimate surrender. So Paul's using this imagery of a living sacrifice, and I think he's, he's pointing back to Psalm 51, 16 to 17, um, as well as the entire sacrificial system, as I pointed out. But, but it says here, um, in response to David's deep and, and terrible sin, um, as he's confessing that, he says, you, you will not delight in sacrifice, or, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. So as we surrender, surrender our own distinctives, surrender our own um, pet peeves, surrender our own divisiveness, we, we, we do that because God ultimately wants a, a broken and contrite heart that receives his mercy and, and lets love reign in the present. So do we see a church right now with a broken and contrite heart? Or do we see a proud and boastful and divisive church, ready to divide over anything? Lord, have mercy, right? Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. The true sacrifice of a follower of Jesus, a follower of Yahweh, is a contrite heart and an obedient spirit. That's what God's looking for now, since Jesus has paid it all by his blood on the cross, and Paul's calling us together to be a living sacrifice, which is actually a little more difficult than a dead one, right? Because a dead sacrifice stays on the altar. Uh, a living sacrifice uh, seems like it could crawl off the altar whenever it wants to. But we're supposed to surrender as a living sacrifice, to live right now in the present. Make this choice. To live right now in the present, uh, allowing the rule and reign of love to, to pour out of you, to be repentant and obedient to God. God, I confess my sin. I, I continue to be divisive. I, I find power in hatred. I, hatred. I find power in outrage. I, I, I love gossip and I love the latest news and I don't love you as much as I should. And I surrender to you with an obedient and contrite heart. You know, for Paul, the mind and the body are closely interconnected and must work together as a, as a team, right? Having one's mind renewed and offering a body is is part of the same event. So here's Paul's using a more shocking idea. Uh, your your whole self must be laid on the altar like a sacrifice in the temple. The big difference is that whereas the sacrifice is there to be killed, when a, cry, a Christian offers themselves, it's actually about coming alive. Think about that. That's another aspect of the living sacrifice is that when you surrender yourself, you truly come alive with new life that just bursts out, says Tom Wright, in unexpected ways. 
when the evil deeds of the self are put to death, the, the new life springs out in unexpected ways. That's a living sacrifice. So Paul goes on in this passage from Romans to give us the ultimate outcome of the sacrificial life. He says, What's more, don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can work out what God's will is, what is good, acceptable, and complete. Right, don't be conformed to this world. The world is the, the evil present age. Uh, Tom Wright talks about this because um, he says we must figure out how to think and speak and act as is appropriate, for the, not for the present age, but for the new age which is already breaking in. God's, God's new creation work through Jesus. Christians are called to think through every aspect of life. Think about this. Think through every aspect of life and be ready to be countercultural. Now, it doesn't mean in every way you need to be countercultural. Look at that. Hospitals are helping people and loving people. I need to be countercultural. No, no, no. But you need to be ready. Ready to challenge those parts where this present evil age shouts or maybe whispers seductively. It would be easier and better to do things that way. But the age to come has already begun in Jesus. And so we are new creations. And so we belong to this new thing God is doing. And so we need to live in this new way instead. The present evil age has patterns that lead to a broken life. We know this. The world's blowing up. Uh, this, this test of look inside, find yourself, express that to the world, and everything's going to be great has ended well, it hasn't ended yet, but it is going to end in tragedy after tragedy. The world is marked by patterns of greed, selfishness, pride, envy, gossip. These patterns are easy to fall into. It could be difficult to transform. They're called patterns because they're routine and they're often done mindlessly, but also because these patterns can be identified and changed, right? So point number two, changing your patterns will change your life. So with just a little attention, you can identify these patterns. In fact, pattern recognition is a skill we've been learning from childhood. It's just part of, part of who we are. So, uh, so when, you, when you see square, square, circle, and then square, square, circle, right? You can, you can examine, you know what's going to happen next. And that can be true in our own lives as well. You pay attention to the patterns. You say, oh, I think I know what's coming next. And you can change it. Right? That thing triggers me all the time. Okay, so how can you address that? Every time this happens, every time I feel sad, I feel lonely, I feel hurt, I go to this, <laughs> this well to drink. Hmm, I wonder if I could interrupt that pattern by going to the, tr to the living water that is Jesus, the true and living water. So we have to change our perspective, though. Uh, and that's why Paul, I think, says, in view of God's mercy, we need to be, be looking at life differently. When we understand his love and mercy for us, we find reason to transform our lives and, and the ability to do it as well. You can renew our minds. So maybe you developed a pattern of talking down to yourself whenever you make a mistake. And it always leads to feeling depressed and anxious. Break the pattern. Don't conform to it any longer. Or maybe you're in the pattern of objectifying people. Oh, look at them. They are so... You know, you're not seeing the humanity in them. 
you're just seeing the group think and you're just like those people and them and and that um, leads to dehumanizing them or using them for flights of outrage or lust. Look at her, look at him, as opposed to, oh, that's Tom or that's Joan or that, you know, like we, we can't conform to that pattern any longer. Maybe you notice patterns of telling lies to people around you. And what does that lead to? Square, square, circle, lies, lies, more lies, deceptive patterns, right? It always leads to that deceptive lifestyle. So don't conform to it any longer. Maybe you've seen a pattern of laziness in your life. It's kind of developed into apathy and toward work and family and dreams that God's given to you. In view of God's mercy, don't continue that pattern. Break it. Experience new life. Reach out to me. Reach out to our church and we'll get you connected with people that can help you um, walk in a new pattern. Ask the Spirit to show you where these patterns are leading to destruction. Ask Him to clean house. So let me get practical with you for a minute. Have you ever done an elimination diet? Maybe for food allergies, you try to determine what foods your body has been responding poorly to. Uh, or maybe you've seen that done. Well, there's a similar concept with soul training, when you've you got to train your soul. Start removing things for long enough to know what impact they've been having on you. Now, you may know, like, okay, this is a pattern, this is obvious, this thing always triggers this, and I just need to get, get that out of my house, right? I don't understand, but maybe you don't even know. So start removing things long enough to know what kind of impact they've been having on you. I took a year off of TV and movies once. Now, this was years ago. And when I came back, it was like I was being assaulted by the attitudes, the passions, the appeals, uh, the way they were trying to make me feel to influence me. So push pause on some influences this week. Just push pause on. Say, okay, I'm not going to do that right now. And see what God can do to expose the patterns that have been there. Um, you don't really know the influences in your life until you remove them. So that's just a practical step that I would encourage you to do. Just, just pick something in your life that you regularly do that you know isn't super healthy and just pull that back and see what God does in that open space. Point number three, trade your will for God's will. Jesus is the, the picture of that, not my will but yours be done. That's the, the ultimate outcome of a sacrificial life and a renewed mind. The outcome is the ability to distinguish what God's will is for your present life. Wouldn't that be great? You, you, a surrendered life, a renewed mind, you start to have the ability to distinguish what God's will is. So I wonder how many of you have been struggling and wondering what decision to make about this one thing, something in your family or something in your job and career. And we all want to know what it, okay, God, what do you want me to do with my career in serving others and loving our family and investing energy and resources? I want to know all that. And Paul's saying that the best way to, to the will of God is by trading our own will in and creating better patterns for our lives, for our lives. So what if you were to trade in the time and energy that you used to spend on the old patterns in your life and you create new patterns with better outcomes? That's what can happen right now in your present. Under the reign of love and mercy in your life, spend time in prayer, read scripture, serve the poor, listen for the voice of God. Because God's promises are that he will lead us 
and show us his will for our lives when we submit to his leadership in our lives. You may know this from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. When we trust in the Lord, put our confidence in him and question our own understanding, we'll start to see the straight paths God has laid before us. This trust of the Proverbs uh, here is a trust that God's love is always seeking the best for us. Unlike that store that you walk into who's hoping you make a really bad decision and give them your money. Unlike that app that just needs you to pay attention long enough that they can get ad revenue. God's will for you is, is the best for you. That's what he wants. Uh, he, he, we can rely on that kind of love and obey God because of it. You know, for Christians, uh, it, it, Christian life doesn't begin with a set of rules. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But, but it does build a sense of, of rule of life. You know what? This is for me. This is what I need to do. My conscience needs to, I, I believe this is what I need to do. And, and so we start to set these guidelines to really help us so that we can we can move from simply just offering our whole self to God to having patterns that, that build out um, some structure to our lives so that we don't offend and we can actually live in God's will and in his mercy. So we renew our minds and, and God does this great work and we can think straight again instead of the twisted way that the world would force upon us. You know, the, the world is, is trying to, to sell you on an idea right now that, that you can believe whatever you want to believe. You believe whatever you want to believe. If you don't think that it seems normal or reasonable that God has this kind of requirement or that God's set for relationships, um, his will for relationships is this way or that way, you just want to believe whatever you want. You want to pick and pick and choose, pick and choose. Can I give you a word of advice? Be careful about believing what you want to believe. Be careful about believing what you want to believe. We will always distort. We will always, when we lean onto our own understanding, we will always distort. And it will lead us to ruin instead. Because the patterns of this world are so strong, we can't trust um, that when we come up with a belief that, you know, I think God would never say this, and I think God doesn't really care about that anymore, and I think, be careful. Be careful. Just one last thing about this idea of trust. Um, you know, being a parent, I, I would love for my children to believe with their whole hearts that my will for them is that is good. It's, it's loving. It's that the decisions I'm making for them are so that they can flourish and I, that I have my best interest in mind. But if you've been a parent, you know it's not all fun and games. Um, there are lots of difficulties. And, and the willfulness of a child um, competes with the, with the goals of parenting, right? We get into, get into obvious conflicts. And the most difficult thing to teach them is that they can trust me because I love them. 
When I say, no, I don't think we should do that or instruct them or, or put some boundaries around, um, which seem like punishment to them. I'm doing it because I love them and I want what's best for them. Uh, but that's not always seen. And God as the father from whom all fathers get his name, get their names. Um, God who is, who is perfect and he says, I wish you would trust me. It's hard to teach. It's even harder to learn. But if we're going to live the full life that God has for us, we've got to trust his love for us and let that love reign in our lives and over our present.